everyone! Welcome to the third episode of the podcast, Emerging Adulthood, Where the Fuck Am I? With your host, Natasha. Today, we have here our guest speaker, Micah Fernando, who is joining us from Manila. Hi everyone! Super glad to be here. Hi Micah! Well, Micah is a 25-year-old economist in the startup scene. He's currently working in a startup called Grocery experiencing the birth pains of helping grow a company exponentially, focusing on the fields of microfinance, logistics, and overall business expansion. His mom also thinks he's cute and funny. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, hi everyone. Tasha, thank you so much for inviting me. You're most welcome. And actually, I should be thanking you because I know you have such a busy schedule. I've been bugging you for months. Sending you voice recordings, setting up a lot of rain check meetings, and finally, we're here. So thank you so much. Sure, no, I mean that's it's okay. It's okay, of course. <laughs> it's okay. Sige. <laughs> <laughs> well, to begin, I do want to ask about grocery. Let's do a quick plug. Could you tell our listeners here about the amazing things that grocery does? Yeah, sure. So. Um, Grocery is basically a tech startup that is focused on growing Sari Sari stores. So hence the name Grocery, right? So mm. think a Shopee, Lazada, or Amazon that's very focused on a Sari Sari store's identity as a business owner. And us being mm. the only middleman that kind of um, provides the services and products that they need to thrive. So think like... um the shampoo sachets that they end up selling to their end consumers, um, the uh-huh. milk sachets, even alcohol and cigarettes, although I don't support, and even the the um, load that they end up selling, those kinds of things. So we provide those um, services for them. Oh, that's a very good way of clarifying this with us, Micah. So, grocery, it's still a business, and we shouldn't mistaken it as a charity effort. Right, right, right. So, um, so we're not a charity by any means. So the mm-hmm. Sari Sari Stars in industry is actually a twenty six point ninety four billion US dollar business. So that's one point three wow. trillion pesos a year, right? So it's so it's a pretty mm-hmm. um big business, but the usual value chain that big companies um do is that they talk to a big distributor to help distribute products, right? Um, mm-hmm. And these distributors sell to a big store, who sells to a slightly smaller store, who sells to a slightly smaller store. And a couple layers later, you reach the Sari Sari store that, that we want to serve, right? So each layer has a profit margin, which kind of leaves much to be desired for the small-time Sari Sari store to turn a profit. So mm-hmm. how oh, we... yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how so we do I well was in thinking... this... Hold on, Micah. I was thinking just for our <coughs> listeners who aren't from the Philippines. I don't know if we do have listeners who aren't from the Philippines. Sari Sari stores. It's like a corner shop, right? Yeah. It's a so it's very it's called tiny. a mom and pop shop. Yeah. It's a mom's ah. called a mom and pop shop in other countries. Right. So it's like yeah. a small family ran business, just sells whatever they can find. Yep. Yes. Okay. So Micah, what is your role in all of this? So seeing that it's a startup, I expect that the roles are quite fluid and maybe even more flexible. Would you agree? Yeah, so um, I cannot agree with you more with that. So it's very <laughs> flexible and agile at the same time. So things, so things move really fast. 
So mm-hmm. like how you mentioned in, in an introduction a while ago, so previously I handled our microfinancing business to give stores more working capital so that mm-hmm. we ensure that they're growing while making sure they don't lose money at the same time. But eventually, I assumed a business expansion role tasked with launching our business to different provinces and cities around the Philippines. So wow. just kind of finding warehouses and whatever it takes to do the business so, there, basically. Have you been yeah. traveling a lot? Yes, I have been traveling a lot all over the Philippines. So I love the Philippines so more. <laughs> so there. So, But then again, because of this COVID scenario, my, my role has changed into leading our logistics platform. And th- mm-hmm. as things turn up for the company, I'm back to leading our expansion arm again while doing the, lo- the whole logistics uh, function and finding opportunity areas to grow our business within our current network and in the other, and the other parts of the country we're, we're executing. Yeah. Wow, Micah, so you're essentially playing a role for three to four people. You mentioned so many things that you were doing. And I wonder, where did you learn these skills? Because I'm sure, you know, you have a wide array of skills that were developed from several experiences in the past. I wonder, would you be able to recall or identify some of them? Um, yeah, so, so you're right. These weren't things that I necessarily learned back in school. And I guess uh-huh. to keep it kind of concise, my advice really there is to kind of worry less about the micro things, like learning agile uh-huh. R, Python, and other coding stuff, mm. and think more about the macro goal, right? So just focusing on how do I constantly solve problems, right? So so a lot of the things I did to get by was just to learn through Google, and then kind of ask people around who have the right expertise, and just and just making it fit into my worldview. So that's kind of like how I got to get by, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's also because you have that mindset that you do want to learn, like, you're not shy to ask for help. You're not shy to want to learn new things, probably from your colleagues, right? Yeah, that's that's totally correct. And I yeah. guess I attribute a lot of that to uh, my college experience, running for the student mm. government, wor- working with friends and other mm. um, org mates, right? Um, having yeah. my internships in different companies, learning from how the big boys do it, stuff like that. And then um, getting in teammates and participating in, in competitions, those kinds of things. So all of these experiences all, all have a contribution to that. Yeah, so it's like they really did prepare you in that way. And yeah, yeah and I totally agree that these are, aren't things that you learn explicitly from school. They don't teach you how to be a good team player. They don't tell you that you have to have this growth mindset that allows you to learn from different experiences and from other people. And I wonder, what is the biggest takeaway for you that you learn from all those experiences that you're still applying up to this day? So, um, I would... There's this framework that Elon Musk um, follows. It's called First Principle Thinking. So, Mm -hmm. this is something that uh, our listeners can uh, kind of Google... Google it, yes. Um, yeah, you can just Google it, right? So first principle thinking is about kind of dissecting things in a way that you can understand it. So Elon Musk had mm-hmm. this brilliant idea before, right, of creating electronic cars. But of course, people didn't yes. believe that, right? So Elon yes. Musk chose to think, like, how can I dissect it 
in a way that makes sense. So what is an electric car made of? So they're saying that the biggest hurdle to make an electric car work is the battery. But if, the battery. if you think about it, right, what are batteries made of? It's made of this element, this element, this element that I have no idea what it is, right? X, but, Y, and Z. <laughs> yeah, so that's what Elon Musk knows, right? That's how he made it fit into his worldview. So mm. he he made, um, he understood what those were made of, understood that, hey, mm-hmm. it's actually not expensive if you start it from here, so I'll just make my mm-hmm. own that is um, applicable to what an electronic car needs. And that's kind of how it all made sense and how they're doing well right now, right? So so it's yep. like going back to the basics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And keep on asking the deeper whys. Yep. Mm, that's true. And I I was thinking, that's the thing, you know, we're so focus sometimes on the end product and usually if you have this crazy idea like let's say how to build an electronic car it sounds impossible right correct but then like what you said and also like what elon musk was obviously for sure he was struggling with this for sure he was finding a way to be able to share such a basic concept with people who didn't see it as a basic concept. Correct, correct. Yeah. Well, this is very interesting. And I think we can go to the next hot topic that was actually also (laughs) mentioned in the previous episode. So briefly, we talked about this as well. And we highlighted how the topic of money versus passion would be two opposing forces that could lead you to consider doing things such as working abroad. And for you, I wonder, right now at this stage in your life, you're 26 years old, you're working for a startup company. If you had to choose one, which would it be and why? Hmm. So this might seem a little bit um, hypocritical, given mm-hmm. how I'm working on something that I would say I'm very passionate for, right? But I would say mm-hmm. money. Um, mm-hmm. But it's money to kind of pay for our passions. So right now, I'm just really mm-hmm. fortunate enough to be in a position where fulfilling my passion of helping the country also leads to a good payout, yeah. right? So if I was in a different um, scenario where I didn't have the mm-hmm. same opportunities that I have as right now, I might mm-hmm. have chosen to to go for the money approach and then finding a way to make 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 it make sense to pay for my passion in the future yeah yeah no i totally agree and i feel that for a lot of people from our generation it's not a surprise that people would be choosing money right now because there's this expectation that we have to start saving up for our future we're going to hopefully settle down soon and so we do need to use up all of our productive energy to get money right and it just makes sense i don't think it's selfish i don't think it's a surprise at all and you know (laughs) before we go further i just want to ask you what are your passions ba (laughs) so baka naman you can share some with (laughs) us you know because of this covid pandemic i feel like a lot of us are actually exploring and discovering new things 
and hopefully finding out that some of these new things could be newfound passions. And right yeah. now, yeah, on social media, we see that there are a lot of new expert bakers. There are a lot of new artists, a lot of TikTokers, entertainers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how about you? What have you been doing that you find fun and meaningful and that you would consider as your passion? So I feel like such a boring I feel like such a boring person for saying this. <laughs> so um two things. Um what what really what's really fueling my drive is that I really mm-hmm. just re- I just really wanna have um a well provided family and children mm-hmm. that are brought up with the right values and principles. So that's kind of like the the goal for me, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time though, I mean ever since like at a very young age, um, I really want to do something very high impact to society. So I really wanna make a world that is a better place to live in, where people can worry less about just kind of getting by, like being in a third world country here in the Philippines, yes. um, experiencing so much poverty, but to actually spend more time, like what you're saying, right? Like mm-hmm. having the opportunity to to fulfill your passions, right? And and mm-hmm. actually pursuing your passions. So, yeah, so it's really about that. But yeah, I guess I have hobbies on the side, but that's not really something that yeah. I sadly can't do as much anymore. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, those are, yeah. So it, that's basically where I am. I love your answer. It sounds like a very Miss Universe answer, you know? I want to change the <laughs> I like world, how you say make it a miss, better place. But okay. Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Universe. Well, for me naman, I think my go-to answer is the same. I do love to travel. And right now, oh my God, I guess that was one of the motiv- motivating factors for me to also travel to New York. But right now, during COVID, grabe, I felt stripped of this passion because obviously we're not encouraged to be traveling. So I don't know. I guess I had to find a replacement. And just like a lot of us did, we tried baking and being artists, <laughs> doing some painting. I tried to be a plant mom. But, you know, if you follow me on my personal Instagram account, you'd see that I even killed my succulents. And they're supposed to be the easiest <laughs> plants to take care of. So emphasis yeah. on tried. Tried. Tried nice. talaga. And I know, okay, maybe I'm not made... I'm not made for this. Pero I'm always so proud to see other plant moms that are so amazing at their new plants or even harvesting vegetables and fruits already. Like, wow. Wow. Kudos to them. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I was also actually able to borrow my friend's guitar. So I got back to playing songs. But I guess to consider something as my passion, it should be able to elicit a strong feeling or emotion or even excitement or motivation. And I guess that's also a confirmation that this podcast really is my passion now. It's new and I work on this in the evenings before I go to sleep. I bug you (laughs) (laughs) at very difficult times of the day. But learning from you guys and the people I invite as guests... You are able to not just help our listeners, but really to help me at least. And I know that because this is my newfound passion, I hope to be able to 
help at least one person and that gives me a boost already. Yeah, but not saying that a particular passion or goal is the right way to go. I mean, people need to have that sense of security and maturity to know what drives them. To not be shy mm. about it and to really own it, right? And not to hold back and kind of living it out. Because like me, for example, I would never mm. imagine myself um, kind of um, having my own podcast. Like, that. that's, that's not really my thing, but... Oh, really? When we think about somebody, <laughs> right? I, I mean, well, it's just, it's just not me. But when I think about yeah. like people who want to have one but are scared to kind of pursue it because they're scared yeah. about what other people think, right? It's really kind of hard to take that first step. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've been scared for a very long time. And up to this moment, you know, I know there will always be people who wouldn't be so happy with the content or with the topics that we choose to talk about. But it did take time for me and I'm still learning, you know? It's still a work in process and I am embracing that growth mindset. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Micah, as emerging adults between you and I, I hope you recognize that we're both speaking from a place of privilege. Correct, so correct. This this choice to even be able to choose money or passion is a privilege. For a lot of individuals, this choice does not exist for them. I don't know if this was applicable to your parents, but to my parents, I'm certain that they did not have this choice. So, for example, my dad, he worked and he studied at the same time. He worked odd jobs to sustain himself and later... He stuck to a business that sustained our family. And he I bet he didn't have time to reflect if what he was doing was something he was passionate about. So here I am today, one generation after, reaping the fruits of his hard work. And this is why, I guess, Jeffrey Arnett, the guy, the psychologist who termed this phenomenon emerging adulthood, says that this phenomenon is most prevalent in industrialized societies. So we can see that in our society, it definitely is a class phenomenon. And I mean, in a socio-economic class, we would see that coming from a place of privilege, there really are certain opportunities that are only present for a certain group of people that have this privilege. Now, my next question is, do you think that it would make it easier for us, like, in the long run? Hmm. Um, I would say that not really as well. I mean, mm. so, like, um, I mean, our standards vary from person to person. Um, mm. je- like, if you compare the, the situation back when our parents had to kind of figure all of these out themselves... Um, yeah. like which is the baby boomers era, right? It was a period mm. of of high growth essentially, like period of industrialization. Um, a lot of industries really kind of booming, right? And ever since then as well, our generation has a much bigger population, and yeah. when mm-hmm. there are a lot of automations from all of these machines, those kinds of things, uh, mm-hmm. being in the picture, as well as um, um 
having less job opportunities in general. There's really much more of, there's really a higher sense of competition right now, I would mm-hmm. say, as compared to how it was in our um, parents' generation. Like, my parents always talk about it as well. Like, same with with your with, with your dad, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. both of my parents had to kind of go through that themselves. Like, they also yeah. didn't have that privilege. And they kind of worked, mm-hmm. they really worked their ass off to kind of... Um, for us to have this kind of uh, quote-unquote privileged um, yeah. uh, mindset, right? So, um, mm-hmm. so, so there's that. But they also say that, though, that it's a really different time right now. That's why it's not an apples-to-apples approach that you can really say, okay, it's easier than, it's e- than it should be like that now or something. Exactly, exactly. And I think it makes sense that millennials are now recognized as the burnout culture. And when we talk about burnout, it's not something that we can cure by going on a vacation during a long weekend. It's not as temporary as we think it is. Some people say that feeling burnt out is so natural. It becomes a part of our lives. It's like a background music. It's just there. It's just there. It's hovering. You know you're so tired all the time. It's the way things are. And I guess my question now is, why? Why are we so burnt out? And what made us become this generation to be known as the burnout generation? Did we do this to ourselves? As you said, is it a generational thing? What do you think? Let me know your thoughts. So, I guess from there, um, there are two main factors, I guess, that we, that we can kind of mm-hmm. attribute this to. So, the first one, I would say, is that, um, like like what I was saying a while ago, mm-hmm. right? It's much, I would say that it's much more difficult now, in a sense mm-hmm. that, although there's more, there are more automations kind of coming in, this increased population, as well as having less opportunities in general, leads to yeah. increased competition. So Definitely. factoring that in with the high growth experience in the baby boomers era, era kind of makes everything like a lot more difficult, right? So kind mm-hmm. of setting the same standard to reach as what your parents had with a different playing field is kind of difficult, yeah. difficult and unfair to ourselves. So this pressure um, is kind of like um, an unrealistic standard that ends yeah. up fueling this lack of security that we end up having. So this inherent pressure kind of le- leads us to do other things. So we are mm-hmm. so pressured to do other things just to get an edge. We are so pressured to get a postgraduate degree. We're forced to, to work so many jobs. We think mm-hmm. about, oh, I'm in a job right now. This is really the best place to grow. And th- that's yes. what a lot of people in our generation also looks look for other jobs to 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 go to as compared to where they are right now. They're less satisfied. Those kinds right. of things, right? Because they, they're so eager to kind of get that next um, jump in their um, in in their job stage. So there's I, I guess that's really something that we really have to consider. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also agree with the fact that you said it was inherent. I mean, I remember how even in school, for example, when we were in grade school or high school, there was such a huge emphasis on being well-rounded. Like, you have to be good 
in everything. It's not enough everything. that you were excelling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. oh my gosh, you cannot just be good in terms of your academics. You cannot just have a good score in your report card. You have to be physically fit. You have to be able to play sports. You have to be musically inclined. You have to participate in your fair share of social service activities. And we can see how this pressure to be a well-rounded individual that can do everything is something that we bring with us as we go to college. And now that we're working we still have this ingrained in our system. And even with myself, right? It's evident when I say, okay, I like my job, I'm paid well, I like my bosses, but does this job give me unlimited vacation leave so that I can travel as much as I want to? Or, yes, I'm doing great at work, my performance is rated well, But am I praised for being the best employee of the month? Will I be offered a promotion the next year? So we truly are our biggest critic, but we are setting a crazy, unrealistic expectation. We can see that, well, even with characteristics, for example, like, It's such a good characteristic to be ambitious, to be a go-getter. And we're praised for being this ambitious. But these are all factors that make us so pressured to be better. Right. And so from there, right, you have this really high and very big unrealistic expectation of what uh-huh. you want to have for yourself, right? So so now, I guess we're at a point where you're so kind of engrossed with that image of where we want to be. And now mm-hmm. you add this up to how easy it is, right, to connect through technology um, and and basically connect with people makes it so, all like, all the more toxic. So it's so easy to compare yeah. yourself with other people through social media. And at oh, the same definitely. time, you have you have the same th- at the same time you have to you have to have the ability to perf- to perform well at work because of how accessible and liberal things are. So on mm. one end, right, you get to see people post on social media how they're doing this and that for their work, and at the same time you see that oh they're also, um, they're also traveling. They also get to 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 mm. eat really good food, and they're also doing yeah. all of these things at the same time, right? And it really makes you question yourself that even though you're already working so hard, what mm. aren't you doing that all of these other people can do that you can't, right? So exactly, you can't so, like you never really have the time to turn off, and you always have to be on and just do what you have to. You're do. always on, yeah, and it never feels enough, right? Yeah. Like. Just being able to see other people, they're always so productive, they're always so happy, they're always taking care of themselves. You're like, what am I doing wrong? Where can I even get that much energy after work to be exercising for an hour and shooting it and posting it on social media, right? Like, it's really going down the rabbit hole of how technology adds up to what sets our generation apart. Like, I think that's one of the biggest factors as to why we're so unique. We grew up with technology by our side. We're so fluent with it. 
that we rely on it so much that we do not get to turn off, like what you just said. So we're definitely in agreement with these things. And now I wonder what are some tips that you can share with us so that we could learn how to quote-unquote turn off? Hmm, so I guess um, to start off, like mm-hmm. there's this thing that um, chefs uh, do. There's, they have this concept called miss and place. Which means mm-hmm. kind of like everything in its place. So before you kind of start doing anything, like mm-hmm. things can get very overwhelming with a million other things that you have to do, right? So mm-hmm. they have this thing where they put the ingredients all on the table and organize them based on the order of how they will use it. So I guess it's oh, the yeah. same thing of how you kind of go about with your life or the same thing with how you do your work. It doesn't have to be a to-do list. It doesn't even have to be... Um, making your workstation as nice as how a chef's is, for example. But mm. it's trying to think about what works for you on that front. We're able to really compartmentalize and put everything in its place first before you start right, doing what you have. That's true. I mean, I know that even when I'm getting ready to work, I always spend a lot of time decluttering, making sure my workspace is friendly enough for me to start working to organize my things i do put an emphasis on that and i think that's what you're talking about yeah well i guess my share of tips would probably be more on the mental health part wherein i would suggest to learn how to manage unhealthy thoughts that go with this feeling of burnout so this feeling of burnt out is always about the question of productivity. Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough within eight hours of what I'm being paid for? Or should I exert more time to nine hours of work, 10 hours of work? What or how much should I work in order to please my bosses to make sure that they know I'm exerting enough work? And I see that right now we are in this work from home setup and it's It becomes a very crucial question. How much should I be working in a day? But we forget we are in the middle of a pandemic, right? Right. Yet we expect our productivity to be the same level as pre-pandemic. That in itself is already pretty unhealthy. And of course, we haven't talked about perfectionism how there are a lot of times, especially for people who would consider themselves as perfectionists, they have a difficult time delegating tasks, right? I would say I experienced this. Sometimes I would say I'd rather do it myself because if I delegate, it will take time for them to do it. Then I'll see that it's not the way I would want to do it. And so you kind of just take in all the work to yourself And this isn't healthy. This just isn't healthy. And we can also talk about internalized expectations, especially this balance of working, having social life, having enough time for your family. Like, how many hours in a day do you have? Sometimes you forget you only have 24 hours in a day. And we want to fit in all our expectations 
into these 24 hours and you just realize you don't have enough time to do everything you want, right? So when you see that you weren't able to attain all of your goals for the day, you end up feeling disappointed, you end up feeling helpless or even feeling that you're not able to achieve your goals so maybe you're not as good as you're not as productive or you're not as good as an employee you're not as good as a daughter right we're all playing several roles in our lives and so we try to balance this out so we have to learn to set realistic expectations well before i continue talking michael i just wonder what is your version of self-care um, I feel like there are two layers to that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess by default, um, self-care is supposed to be something that you kind of pre-identify as something automatic that your body really needs mm-hmm. to kind mm-hmm. of function. So that kind of varies per person. But I guess in its mm-hmm. very basic form, it's being able to eat X times a day, taking a bath, mm. brushing your teeth, right? And, and having a certain mm. amount of sleep per, per day. But I guess there is that second layer. And I guess that's more of the needs, right? But then yeah. there is the... There's that extra layer of self-care where people feel like they need to have this 16-step Korean skin routine <laughs> to make them have glass... Um, glass glassy skin, skin, yeah, glassy smooth skin. The next day, those kinds of things. But I guess, at at least for my purposes, I don't feel the need to have um that kind of the the give self care. But not saying that it's bad. But I guess it would kind of depend on the person. But I guess it's that it's that pre identified um routine. Or mm-hmm. list of things that you have to do so that you can really say that, okay, I'm still kind of sane. I can say that I'm still healthy, um, that, I'm, that I can actually still get to live a more or less humane life, quote-unquote. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say as well. A lot of times when you think about burnout or feeling burnt out, our solution is to engage in self-care activities. It could be going on a vacation, going on a trip, going to the beach, taking care of your skin, exercising. Like we can name a bunch of self-care techniques. But it's very interesting how even self-care can add to the pressure that causes burnout. Like I I feel that this is something that our generation really finds ourselves vulnerable to, especially in terms of the pressures that we experience with social media. So we can see how a lot of people are very proud of their self-care routine, right? Like they would share their skincare routine at night before they go to sleep. And so this adds up to the unrealistic expectation that you tell yourself you need to achieve to do a perfect type of self-care, right? So now, self-care has turned into a to-do list, right? Something that you have to do properly, something that you have to follow, 16 steps of Korean skincare (laughs) to make sure that you are doing it correctly, it's as right. if we have a self-care report card. 
But in reality, self-care is supposed to be natural. Like what you said, eating three nutritious meals in a day. That is self-care. Making sure you have enough sleep. Making sure you have eight glasses of water or not even eight glasses. They say it's different per person. But those are self-care techniques that wouldn't require us to be comparing our progress with other people. What other strategies would you suggest aside from turning off from social media in terms of taking care of yourself? What are some things that you do that you would want to share with our listeners? So... I guess a lot of what I well I well just a disclaimer I can't say that I'm the best um example of a person who who exercises a lot of self care I think you would know that by the many times you had to reschedule our our session now but also because um, Micah does not sleep <laughs> yeah it's not a thing for me just kidding but yeah um I guess a lot of it has to do with communication. Um, mm. being able to kind of identify your quote unquote your big rocks of things that you mm. have to do when you're working and you're overwhelmed with the uh, with a million things that you have to do right um trying to choose which things to focus on given how you know yourself to how much time you can actually dedicate to finish off all of those mm. things can work and from there, after I, goals, yeah, using big and just, rocks, love it exactly right, and being able to communicate that properly with your with your manager or whoever you are doing your work for, and realizing mm-hmm. that hey, if I focus on these big rocks, it's eighty percent of the impact. For example, as compared to doing twelve, thirteen other things that would just which will um solve the twenty percent, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Um, another thing that also helps is uh, meditation. Like, just kind of setting 10 to 15 um, minutes per day. Like, really th- assessing, like, um, where are you at with those pre-identified big rocks? What's really mm-hmm. causing the bigger stressors in your life? And try to see if there's a way you can pivot and communicate those insights to your manager afterwards as well. Yeah. And then from there, after no, and, and and I guess this comes with experience also that as you learn yourself more and, and right, it's a it's a lifelong journey being able to know what you can and aren't capable of doing. After you mm-hmm. get to have a better grasp of that, you can then learn to say no, um, and understanding That's the true. limits of what you can and can't do. Right, exactly. Um, you know, Micah, this the, is very difficult. I think especially yeah. for us Filipinos. It's yes. part of our culture, I guess, that it's very difficult for us to say no. Agree. Especially when you're really young, right? You have, mm-hmm. like, like what you said a while ago, how we have very unrealistic expectations of ourselves and mm-hmm. um, not having that um, sense of security around what you want to accomplish in life until yeah. you're able to meet those unrealistic expectations, right? Like, you, like you feel yeah. so entitled. Oh my God, I can't say no because if I say no, I won't yeah. be able to get the promotion I want, right? That's true. Which, which brings me to my last point that you can't compare, right? Mm, um, although, very difficult. Right? Um, especially with social media. But I guess that in part is a little bit easier to do. I mean... 
knowing to how to say like maybe I should turn off Instagram for like every now and then. <laughs> not or uh, not not uh not not looking at social media and seeing where other people are per se and try to focus on yourself like every now and then and going at it at yeah. your own pace. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also safe to say, like just a very gentle reminder to our listeners that social media is not real. There's always this um, wanting to make it seem real even if we know it's not. I mean, even when we're talking about makeup, there's the no makeup makeup look. You put makeup to make it look like you don't have makeup, but you have makeup. I feel like social media is the same thing. <laughs> and at the same time, another gentle reminder that your job does not define you. Whenever we're so engrossed in our work, we tend to make it feel like our job defines us. That's why it's so hard for us to say no well, Micah, let's talk about emerging adulthood. <laughs> I remember yeah. when I sent that survey to you, you said that you didn't feel like an adult yet. So I wonder, yeah. <laughs> maybe you can expound a little bit on that. How far along are you if you're not an adult yet? So, mm-hmm. um, I guess I'll start it off by saying that I refuse to be an adult. Peter Pan, um, is that you? <laughs> no, <laughs> but um, I I I'm not sure if um our v, our, our our listeners know this book, but there's this book called The Little Prince, by Antoine de Saint Exupéry. Yes. Um, I love that book. I ab- I absolutely mm-hmm. love that book, and I guess a lot of it has to do with um, as you grow older, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about growing up and letting go about letting go of the dreams that has fueled you when you were younger but mm-hmm. rather think about it as as you grow older you think more about how you're able to balance your dreams mm-hmm. with what society can allow you to do so kind of like achieving your dreams more sustainably right so that's where i kind of say that i don't feel like i'm an i'm an adult yet because part of me being my ver- my definition of what an adult is involves being able to live out my dreams and being able to live out the the child in myself right and being able to that to do that sustainably while doing all of the other things that I want to do at the same time so there's that well i hope that you never lose that child in yourself micah <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> and i also love your definition of adulting so thank you for sharing that sure well micah it has been an honor to have you here with us so thank you so much for spending time with me and our listeners sure um i guess a lot of it has to do with this whole i mean all of these powerful words right passions Mm. dreams um burnout a lot of these can seem to be very intimidating to solve. And I guess mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with self-forgiveness, right? Like, yeah. being able to tell yourself that um, it comes with time. It does, mm-hmm. Passion does not grow on trees, right? It's something that uh, you really have to cultivate and something that you have to... Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's like it, like, it will slowly get there. So I guess it's about being able to forgive yourself and 
realizing that it will come eventually. Beautiful words to end our podcast with. Well, listeners, <laughs> if you haven't yet, follow our Instagram page and at Emerging Adults Club. We will be posting episode highlights from our conversations there. Thank you again so much, Micah. Sure, anytime, Tasha. I mean, it's 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 always a pleasure to be able to talk to you even outside of this podcast. Yes. Alrighty, stay tuned for our next episode where we will be talking about mental health in the Philippines. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. <laughs>